certainly blessed if you're here this morning, but especially after that, wow, God is good, isn't he? It is great to see you on Labor Day weekend. Uh, a lot of people are gone camping and, and fishing and floating and whatever takes place on Labor Day weekends, but I'm glad you chose to come here and be a part of the service here at the assembly. We've had a lot of things happen in this past week. Some We have one issue we're going we're gonna to pray about this morning. Uh, um, Mindy and, and Tony Thurkill's grandson, Sam, and uh, he definitely needs a touch in his body. I'm going to explain a little bit. I want to go too much detail, but when he was born, his, his uh, skull had grown together when he was born. You know, with babies, they're supposed to have a soft spot, and it's supposed to mature and grow as the baby grows. So he was premature on the, on the forming of the, of the skull, and and so they had to go in and take part of the skull and remove it and allow it to grow. And, and now he's contracted, possibly, not for sure, but maybe a little infection up there. And, and he's running some temperatures. And so they took him back, and he's at Children's Hospital in St. Louis. So we're willing to lift him up in prayer. And also the event that's taking place down in Texas. I know everything's better in Texas from those who are from Texas. But they're in a dire need. There's a lot of people that's, that's out of a lot of things. Uh, necessities of life have been taken from them. And they have been through a lot this past week. One of the things as we go into prayer this morning on behalf of those things, we're going we're gonna to believe God will bring some things that are horrible in, in that situation, some great revival things. You know, American people, are, we're so resilient. We don't quit. We don't bow down. We don't run the other direction. We actually, many times, we run into the fight when we see the fight is going. I don't know about you, but as a parent this morning, if one of my kids were up here and one of you were up here pouncing on him, he's not going to be alone. I'm going to be on top of you getting you off my boy. Many years ago, I worked at Teen Challenge, and, and uh, when I was there, I was teaching a lecture class, and it was either on rebellion or authority. I don't remember that particular month, but whatever the sequence was, I was teaching, and there was two guys in the back of the room, had three sections. There was a section that sees here, a big section, a smaller one over here, and in the back section, uh, all of a sudden, these two dudes got up. This one guy flipped the chair over and said, well, come on. And so I'm thinking, this is drama. You know, they're playing. They're, they're, they're trying to play a trick on me because that happened often. And I look, and all of a sudden, they're both swinging and popping each other. So I jump away from the podium I'm standing at and ran back there. And by this time, they're both on the floor trying to hurt each other. And so I jumped on top of them. That's what you're supposed to do, right? So I jump on top of them. I got one arm on this one trying to hold them like I could do that because I couldn't. And I'm on top of them, Leonard, trying to pull them apart. And there's about 40 or 50 guys in the room just watching. Hit, hit, hit. No, they weren't saying that. But they were all bystanders. I was the only guy in there. I was about probably 28, 29, 30 years old, laying on top of two dudes who you know, could have destroyed me. So I'm laying there, and I start yelling for the guys, get down here and help me get these dudes apart. So all the guys pile in on them, and we get them all separated. And I take one to a room, and I shut the door and talk to him. And another guy gets, goes down to the office. It was kind of an ordeal. But here's the thing. If there's a battle to be uh, engaged in, uh, today is a time to engage in battle. So we're going to pray on behalf of Sam, a precious baby boy. And, and uh, life is precious. And uh, oftentimes we, uh, I know Karen Preston the jacks are beside himself with him. And Preston says he must sleep every night, all night long. Because Preston says, I never miss an ounce of sleep. I said, oh, really? He sleeps all the time? He says, well, I don't know. Karen takes care of it. So, so. Great father in there, Preston. But anyway, uh, good job, Kara. I, she told me to say that tonight, this morning. But let's go back to it. Let's really pray for Sam. Let's believe God for him. And then we're going to pray for uh, Houston as well. And we want to ask God for direction in, in this word this morning. 
Father, you have called us to touch your heart, and, and Father, we are mediators so often between the lives of those who don't know how to pray or those who are in a position, even as an adult, Father, that they don't pray. So, Father, we come before you this morning on behalf of Sam and this little dude, Lord, he's a great touch in his body. We thank you for keeping your hand upon him so far and, and the joy he's already brought to this young mom and dad and, and Father, the things they do for you as well and their service to you. And But God, we ask you for a miracle in his little life. Father, place your hand upon him. Let your healing virtue begin to flow through that infant. And God, you restore, remove what needs to be re, uh, removed and Lord, restore what needs to be restored so things can function properly, Lord, in this little guy's life. Direct him, Lord, and his family in the weeks and months to come. And raise him up, Lord, a man of faith for you. And Father, we pray for our, our fellow citizens and our brothers and sisters, Lord, down in, in Houston, Texas. And Lord, this is a, a, a very devastating time and absolutely overwhelming to many of them in the midst of, of things that seem impossible and can't believe and their minds can't really get wrapped around the, the issues and things that's taking place. But Father, I know this. Anything that, that is restored, Lord, you have the ability to restore it. So, Father, I pray that the restoration will be quick, Lord, to give us wisdom in our part and what we do, Father, to influence and help those down in that area. But, God, we pray for miracles to come out of this, that we would just sit back and hear, Lord, not the scrutiny of a church, not the scrutiny of believers, but, Lord, the glorification of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and what you want to do in that area. And, Father, with that, we give you thanks. And everyone says, Amen. Isn't it amazing how quick they are to start throwing people under the bus in a tragedy like this? And unbelievable, unbelievable. How many of you are living a success story? Anybody in here, you're living a, living a success story? You were the one that everybody thought would never make it. You're the one nobody ever thought would ever live to get to the age you're at. You're the one nobody ever thought your marriage would work. You're the one that nobody thought you would ever accomplish anything, that anything good would ever come out of your life. Maybe your father said, you know, nothing's good is going to come to you because I know what you're like. You're just like me and nothing is ever going to be beneficial. And you had all these negatives and all these challenges in your life, but for some reason, Something is raised up in your life and you're a success story. And even though you may not recognize it, you may not voice that this morning, you are. Because if we really got down to the, to the details of each of our lives, many of us absolutely come out of an impossible situation in the natural. And God took us to a place that's supernatural. This morning I'm going to share with you a few stories of, of people who had problems and things they had overcome and failures. And then we're going to be going through the, the way that God designed us. And, and for us to understand that God's purpose for us is to prosper and is to bless us. Don't get misconstrued in your thinking. This is not a prosperity message. This is about an effort message. This is about you and I having the opportunity for things to be different if we will believe and we will apply them and we won't quit and we won't run the opposite way for generations to come. There was a man, he's very popular, and he never spoke a word in his life until he was four years old. Anybody know who it was? Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was brilliant. He's known for his intellect and his insight. But he never spoke a word to his four years old. Most people would have thought he had his handicapped or he had some issues, but he overcame what everybody else thought. How many of y'all have ever heard of Trafodata? T-R-A-F-O data. Anybody ever heard of that? The richest man in the world started this company back in the 70s and it crashed and burned. His name is Bill Gates. What if Bill Gates had quit? What if what if Albert Einstein had quit and his family so drove in him that he didn't have the ability to think or the ability to communicate? What would have happened in both of these guys' lives if they had stopped at the failure at four-year-old or the failure of his first endeavor? There's a guy that's rather annoying. I don't particularly care for him, and he makes a lot of really goofy movies like 
Ace Venturia video, um, animal detective or what it is, something like that. His name is Jim Carrey. There was a time in Jim Carrey's life he was homeless. He didn't have a job. He had nothing and was homeless. There's a girl, and many of you know this story about Bethany Hamilton. How many of y'all know who Bethany Hamilton is? Bethany Hamilton's a young lady, and, and she was a surfer, and while she was surfing, she was attacked by a shark and bit her right arm off, and she's overcoming. She's still a professional. Uh, she's a great speaker and also a professional surfer to this day. There's a guy that he was 10 years old, one of the, actually the founding fathers of America. He quit school when he was 10, in the, was 10 years old, and his name was Benjamin Franklin. Some of you in this room today, you've allowed stereotypes and what everybody says, you can't do this, you can't do that, and they put all these labels on you because of things of your past that you can never live successfully, that you can never have a purpose. I remember when I was in, the, in high school, I was in uh, the choir, or the chorus is what we called it, and we had a lot of guys in there, and we, we sang the Electric Sunshine Man. Ever, anybody ever heard that, uh, whatever you call it, ensemble or whatever? How many of y'all would love to hear me sing it? Probably not, so I won't. But there was, there was this song that said, The Electric Sunshine Man, doing the best that he can. And I won't tell you the rest, but his name was Thomas Edison. You know how many failures Thomas Edison had at creating the light bulb? At least a thousand. Everything he tried with the gases and the type of elements and the things, he tried to make it work, it just didn't. But finally, the light bulb began to work. How many of y'all have ever heard of Vincent Van Gogh? Have ever heard of that guy? He was a house painter back in the day. Uh, he painted murals and that type of thing, if you know what I'm saying. But how many paintings do you know? How many paintings did he ever sell? One. He was known for over 900 masterpieces, and yet he sold one. Was it the 900, or was it the one that he sold that made him so incredible? His value was not placed on what he sold. His value was placed on what he done. And in your life and my life, it's exactly the same. Regardless of the one painting he did sell, what about all the other works and all the other investments he done in his life that people have bought and paid millions and millions of dollars for? I'm going to name some movies off to you. And, and uh, how many of you ever heard of Schindler's List? E.T., the extraterrestrial. Yeah. How many of y'all believe in extraterrestrials? Do not raise your hands. Okay, whatever. Um, what about Jurassic Park? You ever heard that movie? Who's that guy? What's that guy's name? Is? Stephen what? It's not Stephen Hawking. I can guarantee you that. It's Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, uh, he tried three different times trying to get into USC. And I'm, I'm not trying to offend you, Joe, but why anybody would try to go into a college in California, I don't understand. We're going to go back over here. He's from California. But he tried to get into USC three different times in their film department. He was trying to make it big. He wanted to be a producer. And he wanted to write the screens and prints and all the things that went with, with movie making. And every time he applied, he got shut down. After he began making movies, it wasn't but a few years later, they sent him an honorary degree from USC. He did not allow their rebellion, or, or not rebellion, but their rejection of him to bring him into their schooling to cause him to quit making movies. We've all been affected by Steven Spielberg. I remember the movie E.T., and, and I'm kind of a, I don't like scary stuff, but and when the little dude was in the closet and all the, you know, whatever, you know, that stuff it never was good on scary stuff, but that's a movie I'll never forget. Ever, ever, he made an impact. Every one of these people I've just mentioned are success stories. They've overcome things, they've accomplished things, they've lived through things that a lot of people never would have lived through because they had been rejected. Let me stay here for just a minute. Some of us never feel worthy because of rejection. Some of you still don't feel worthy because of a marriage that didn't work because he rejected you or she rejected you. 
Some of you can't get, seem to get through life itself because of rejections and things that didn't go easily. Well, I'm going to be extremely honest with you. I don't know of anyone in my life I have ever met that their life was easy, that there were not, there's not turmoil, there was not things to overcome, and there were not battles that they had to overcome. That is just part of life. But anyone who's ever succeeded has learned how to deal with failure. So here's the thing about God. God designed us to grasp opportunities. God gave you visions. God gave you abilities. He designed you in a way that only He could design you for you to have a prosperous life. And remember, when we talk about prosper, it doesn't always mean with greenbacks. It doesn't always mean with dollars. But I believe that every one of us is supposed to have a fulfilled life. Every one of us. I think that's a gift. So I'd like you to go to Genesis in chapter 2. This is Labor Day weekend, so I'm going to talk to you about working and ethics and how we work and, and responsibilities and things that it takes for us and the way that God designed us for to move ahead in His direction in our life. So Genesis chapter 2. I actually read this passage on Wednesday night. Verse 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and He put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now jump down to verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto who? Unto Adam. And it says that he brought them unto Adam, and he placed them before him, and to see what Adam would call them. Now, why didn't God name them? Didn't he just download all the information into Adam's life? Because he wanted him to be responsible. He wanted him to think for himself. He wanted him to have an ambition and, and motivation to do something. Often we don't think that you know, we want somebody else to take care of us. I showed a video here probably, I don't know, six weeks ago about Generation X. It's about supporting a Generation Xer. It's about people that is in the Generation X. They're, in their, they're 25 to 34, and, and, and they, they like to live in mom's basement, and, and, and they like to have mom and dad. They don't want to work. They, and now there's a difference in having your own place, but, but they don't want to work, and they want to eat their, drink their lattes, or I don't know what that is really. I know what them do with coffee, and they like to go to Starbucks. They want to go run around with their friends, but they don't want to work. They just want somebody to take care of them. Y'all remember that video? And there's a guy in California that has a program. If you want to do that and you want to support a, a Generation Xer, you can give them like $3,500 a month, and that money will go straight to somebody who doesn't want to work. How many of y'all want to be signed up? Yeah, no. I don't think any of us want to give somebody $3,500 a month because of their laziness. We are, have a, we are to have ownership. We are to have responsibility. God placed us in an opportunity to manage our future and for it to not just manage it, but also for it to prosper. If you have a business, I don't know of anybody, maybe I've known a few, but not very many times does someone have a business, and they only want it to get to one place. And once it gets there, they put the brakes on, they stop everything, and what happens to their business? It begins to regress. You see, there's always a forward motion with God. He's never content with us just to get here and stop. What if, you know, if it wasn't just getting the Egyptians or the Israelites out of Egypt and not just get them to the side of the sea, he wanted to get them what? Across the sea. And once they got across the sea, was that the end of it? And he pulled his hand back and forgot them? Not at all. That was just the beginning. And some of you, just coming to church is your first step toward an adventure. Some of you coming to the altar is your second step. Some of you making that decision to make him the Lord and, and give him complete control. Lord, you direct my life. You direct my thoughts. You, you cause me to, to prosper and to move ahead in a way that only you can. It's beginning of that journey. Grasping opportunities. Each of the people I read about didn't quit. They persisted. So God placed us in an opportunity to manage things and to prosper things. If you go to chapter, 20, chapter 1 and verse 26, 
of Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over everything. The fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, the earth, over everything that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image and in the image of God he created him. Male and female created he them. You can read verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and everything that creepeth and moveth upon the earth. I want to stop here. I want you to think about something. I can't remember where I was and I saw this, but uh, I think it was on a cruise ship a couple weeks ago. And, and while we were there, there was this guy talking about the unique design of humanity. Now stay with me. You are not just a, a, an accident that emerged eventually out of the swamps and the algae. You were something that had a, a very definitive design about how you were. This guy is a a professor, and he was talking about humanity and how we have dominion and our responsibilities with our dominion over this planet and how we take care of things. But he brought something up that was really unique. He said, you take one man and one big chimpanzee or gorilla, who's going to win? The chimpanzee or gorilla. You're not going to kill them. You're not going to defend yourself. They will kill you. But the thing he said is so unique is you take 500 men and 500 gorillas and chimps, and man always dominates. They always conquer. They always, always have dominion. He doesn't know it, but I begin to think, we as a group, we as a, as a body of believers, American citizens, when we work together and we purpose things, nothing can ever stop us. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's that thing that uh, when a company has everybody on the same page and everybody's striving and working and, and giving it their best, that company cannot help but thrive. But when you get a company that has different departments that people are always, you know, hanging out and jacking around and not paying their attention to their work and doing bad work, it begins to limp and it begins to struggle. But the thing that God made us, when he put us in, in Genesis 1 and 2, he designed us to succeed. He designed us to have authority. He designed us to have dominion. Now, let me stop here for a minute. When I hear the term authority, a lot of people get messed up into thinking. You hear the word dominion, they begin to think it's an oppressive thing. And if you want to know what oppression means, this is authority, this is us, it's putting pressure on us. That's not what dominion is. Dominion is a, if you will, it's a, it's a gift, it's a spiritual gift that God has gave us. Whenever a human goes into the woods, what does everything do? Okay, if you've never been in the woods and you're going squirrel hunting, if you're walking in the woods, as soon as the squirrels see you, what do they do? They bail, they run, they go to the opposite side of the tree. When you're walking through a field and you're walking and you're going and you're trying to kick up a bunny rabbit, and you kick up the bunny rabbit, what does it do? Does it jump up and look at you? No, it takes off running. When you're in the woods and you're wanting to kill that monster doe that you've been trying to kill because that's all you can kill is does, and you've been hunting forever, as soon as that doe catches you an image in the tree, does she stand to look at you, walk closer? No, she goes the other way. When they catch something in their smell that isn't quite right, they know, listen, <clears throat> everything knows what humans are. We are a higher life form. We were designed differently. And God designed us to have dominion and succeed. Now, for some reason, we can understand that. And okay, we can have dominion. And God called us to succeed and, and have all this direction. But now let's think about our relationships. God has given us the ability to also dominate and lead in relationships. Because we have the ability to make choices on how we treat each other and how we respond. If you've ever been dove hunting, and I hate to hear that any of you went dove hunting this week because there's nothing any more precious than a dove. They're the sweetest, most innocent little creatures, and you're saying you've never ate one. And, you know, maybe that's true. But doves mate 
for life. When a male meets a female and they partner, they never leave. How is it in our society that I'm talking in friendships, I'm talking in church relationships, I'm talking in marriages. How is it that we don't have any more sense than a dove that we cannot make marriages and make them be eternal? So when we look at relationships, it's always about choice, it's always about dominion, it's always about blossoming because that's how God designed it. Go to Exodus, if you will. And here's the, the thing I wanted to share with you, especially this morning. In Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12, we're going to go over to verse 35. How many of you men have ever had a pedicure? Do not raise your hand, all right? Uh, how many of you women have ever had a manicure, manicure, thank you, or a pedicure? How many of you women? Now, I'm not going to ask the men because that should be out of our, come on, come on. I can take care of my own nails. I know how to cut them. They may not be real smooth. They may be a little sun, but I, I know how to take care of my nails. Let's get off of that. But here's the thing. Lord, help me get where I'm supposed to be. Oh, here it is. You can leave this morning better than you came in. And I believe in every application, you can leave better than you came in. I believe that everything that we've started, well, it may be rocky right now. Maybe your marriage is really on the rocks. Maybe maybe your finances are. Maybe your work, maybe your vision, whatever it is, maybe your schooling. Everything can be rocky, but you can leave. Because I believe with all my heart, even though maybe some years of trial and tribulation, in the end, I believe God is designing us to prosper. And I'll tell you why. In chapter 12 and verse 35, it says, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And the word of Moses came from the word of the Lord. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. Let me ask you a question. What does the word borrow mean? What does the word borrow mean? It means when you take something with the intent to what? To return it. Did you think they were going to go back to Egypt and take that gold and them rubies and them diamonds? Do you think they had intentions? Come on, folks. No, there was not. And so let's read that again. The children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed or permanently borrowed uh, of the Egyptians the jewels of silver, gold, and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they lent unto them with such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Wow, isn't that amazing? Some of you are thinking that's unfair. That wasn't right to the Egyptians. But what had taken place with the Egyptians was what? Bondage and slavery. Now let's think about this just for a moment in your life and my life. Anything that is unkept and unpure and is not thriving, many times it becomes a form of slavery. It becomes oppressive. And the Lord says, you're going to leave Egypt better than when you came in. These people who were leaving Egypt were born there. They were raised there. But he said, I'm going to raise you up with herds and cattle and goats and silver and gold and purpose. And I'm not only going to send you to a place of promise, but you're going to leave here better than you came. And I think that is such the nature of God. He never wants us to settle back here where we think that we are or we feel worthy. And for some reason, we always let everybody go in front of us because, you know, let's face it, you know, they're better than me. They deserve it more than me. Really, I believe in the eyes of the Lord, he wants us all to thrive, all of us to be blessed, all of us to have direction. Does it make any sense? I believe it's absolutely true. This is not a good pat you on the back, feel good message. But here's the key. For 400 years, they had been in bondage. 
And a lot of people in this church right now are in bondages. If you'll go back and you'll study the book of Deuteronomy and you look in Genesis and you even look even throughout the New Testament, when people operated in obedience, favor came. When people done things that were right, direction was there. When people began to surrender and do what he said, it's amazing how he flowed in their life. It's kind of like a parenting, if you will. We as parents look at a lot of things with our kids, and we tell them, if you do that, you're going to get this. If you do this, this is the other benefit. It's the same way with God. When we really get down to really living right, Scripture says that the steps of the righteous have order. They have purpose. They have direction. The people who don't have order in their life, they can't have. So they're grasping at straws and things hoping that it will fix it, and they can't fix it because everything's still a wreck. Chapter 13, after the deliverance, chapter 13 and verse 12, and this is what I was making reference to, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, and the males shall be the Lord's. Now the matrix is when a lady has a baby, she brings forth a child. And the thing that the Lord was asking is he said, give me your kids. Trust me with your kids. Trust me with your livestock. Your livestock has the first four male, you sacrifice it. It's something you do unto me. It's something you, you give back unto me because of my blessing of you. But if you don't do it, then you're going to have curses. Um, Moses was a, uh, let's talk about Moses for just a second. I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. Moses himself came what kind of a, from what kind of a background? He was a peasant. He was a slave. He lived just like everybody else, but his mother had God endowed uh, wisdom when she put him in a basket, sent him down the river with crocodiles and whatever could happen. And he was taken out by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised with all the knowledge of the Pharaoh. And God raised him up for a purpose, yet he was absolutely just like everybody else. The last place I'm going to go is in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back if they would. When I look at life a lot, this is what I see with many times myself and with just a lot of us um, in church and as believers. And um, when you came this morning, I'm going to be very candid. We do not care what you wear here to church. I mean, we don't. We want you to become decent, cover yourself, do right. This is not a suit church. This is not a church that we outdress each other. We, we try to always impress people with what we have on. If you want to dress up, go for it. If you want to dress in jeans and a T-shirt, go for it. If you want to wear camouflage this morning, Dawson, go for it. That is not, really, it isn't an issue. It really isn't. Uh, what you drive is not an issue. To be honest with you, nobody cares what you drive. Nobody cares if you drive this. Thumb it. You come here, we're just glad you're here. But there is something about uh, falling into mediocrity. And, and I'm going to say this to each of us, that I believe that everything that's worth doing it ought to be done with some detail. Uh, if you came to church this morning and you haven't brushed your teeth in three days, then you're living in medi- mediocrity. If you didn't comb your hair, you didn't get ready, you didn't try to do something to make yourself presentable, you're just being mediocre. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit, and I do this from time to time. But my wife is rarely mediocre. She always takes care of herself, always. Uh, when people tell me, man, you married up, I say, yep, sure did. They say, man, how old are you, 60? How old is she, 45? It's not funny. It really is never a bit funny. 
y'all knew every morning I, I take I take my bath and body lotion that I get up there. It smells masculine, manly, aspen or something, whatever it's called. I'm telling you the truth. <sighs> try to get this wrinkle in front of my ears. You know, I try. I try. But the problem is, I didn't start when I was 20. She did. You see, my wife never lived in mediocrity. There's so many things about my wife that sometimes I, I just give her a little hug. But, but there's so many things of depth about her that I don't know another word to say. Uh, her consistency, her faithfulness. And I'm not in trouble. She's not mad at me. It's just the truth. It doesn't mean we don't have arguments. It doesn't mean that she's not wrong because she's wrong most of the time. But she is still, she is still, okay, now I'm in trouble. She is an amazing lady. But here's the thing. She never settled to just let herself go. She just never did. Never did. It's the same way with us spiritually. A lot of times in life we just think, well, if I'm supposed to be this way, I'll be that way. And that's, that's not the truth. It isn't. Your business cannot grow. Your life cannot grow. Your savings cannot grow. Your health cannot get better if you only halfway do what you're supposed to do. Many times over the years, you've heard me talk about my favorite meal is a big rib, big ribeye cooked and seasoned up and medium, just medium cooked, medium good and reddish kind of pinkish in the middle and a little juicy, that's all right too. And a big baked potato with lots of yellow butter. I'm talking my potato needs to be yellow when I'm done decorating it up. Don't need bacon bits, don't want sour cream, just butter and potato. And a bottle of Heinz ketchup and a Coca-Cola. There's nothing any better until you find out that it's red meat that your wife two years ago said, I bet it's red meat, it's giving you gout. I bet it's red meat, it's giving you gout. I said, there ain't no way it's red meat. How can red meat make a guy have gout? Well, guess what? It's red meat that gives me a lot of gout. So so here's, here's the thing. I have to do things with moderation. In your relationship with your spouse, there's some things you have to do with moderation. Doesn't mean it's always wrong things that you do, but there's some things you have to pay better attention to. If you're going to have a business, you can't just do it halfway. You have to do it with all that you have. I'm, I'm going to share this last passage with you. The drive for mediocrity is someone who quits easily. It's someone who does just enough to keep their job. That's all they're worried about. It's a lack of drive to do better. You hear me talk about things like this a lot, but I want you to look at your life, and I want you to look at your spouse, your kids. I don't, I don't even want you to get caught up in me. I want you to think about you. I want you to look at your life, and I want to ask you, what are the things that you're letting go that you're really not paying attention to? Spiritually, physically, in your relationships, whatever. But there are things there. And when you get mediocre in your life, guess what? Those relationships get mediocre at best. Well, let me tell you what happens when you get mediocre. The person you're acting that way with gets mediocre too. You know what happens in that relationship? Then it gets distant. Then it gets indifferent. Then it becomes separated. And then there's nothing anymore there because you begin to live just for yourself and not them. Look at your life. What are you neglecting? You neglect your body. You're neglecting your car, your house, your kids, your spouse. You ever watch, uh, there's a guy that ru runs for, uh, uh, oh, Usain Bolt. Where's he from? race Jamaica and Usain Bolt has never been beaten that I know of in all the years of his racing until just recently his last race to retire and he got beat by an American well, one of the things I've seen people do like Usain Bolt he was so fast in the 50 and 100 meter race as they would get almost to the finish line they start putting their hands a wave and want everybody to applaud and because they weren't aware of what was coming up behind them the people behind them beat them why because they didn't pay attention 
And it's because the little things we don't pay attention to that keeps us from succeeding, that keeps us from living the way that God ordained us in Genesis 1. He said, I've called you, I've separated you to live a life with authority and responsibility so that you would prosper and that things would go right and that you would bountifully, things would go right and happen right in your life. In the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going to close with this, This is something that we can all relate to because more than likely most of us have. Nehemiah in chapter 6. Verse 14. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. Because all of us have had people that created fear and doubt in our life. And maybe it's ourselves, but maybe it was, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's a brother or sister. And what happens when you and I begin to live in fear and doubt is we never live in success. Matter of fact, we can't even have confidence. We can't even have confidence in our, in our abilities or academic abilities or, or anything else to do because we're always shot down by what everybody else said. So this is what Nehemiah done. So the wall was finished in 20th and 5th day of the month, Elul, and 50 in two days. And it came to pass when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this was wrought. This work was wrought of our God. Let me tell you what's so awesome about walking in his divine direction. Other people will rise, and they will try to say things, and they will try to start things, and they will try to cause division. And when they do, they will always try to do it in a way that hurts you. Have you ever watched your spouse? You've had an awesome time. You've had an awesome time. You've had it. Maybe you men's retreat or women's retreat. Maybe at an altar one Sunday. And you leave here, and you go out and get in the vehicle. How many of you have ever witnessed this? You have nothing but conflict as soon as you get in the car. Why? And they may not even realize it, but they're trying to defeat everything that just took place. And Nehemiah could have got so wrapped up in the naysayers, and Tobiah and Sambali could have quit. And he could have said, it never will happen. But it did happen. And it's time that you and I come to a place in our life where we quit listening to everybody else. And we begin to listen to the one who has a purpose in our life. The one in Genesis 1, he established you for something direct. And you may have had shortcomings and failures, but I'm telling you, there's something unique and holy about the God we serve. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you would.